Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Well, praise the Lord. Here we are for another great Wednesday night united. I am trusting that you're ready to receive. And uh, we are building up, over, as I said, over the next two Wednesday nights, we'll be uh, <clears throat> dealing with uh, uh, these services uh, on the big screen. And uh, then, uh, of course, beginning in July, we have every Wednesday night live. And so we're excited about what God is doing and what God is showing us. We want to continue with this series that we have been on entitled The Mature Believer, and this will be part nine of, uh, of uh, that series. We dealt with some of this Sunday morning, uh, but I want to, uh, the Lord has, uh, of course, added some things, and so we may look at some of the same uh, things that we looked at Sunday morning, but the Lord, uh, of course, has added some things to it, and uh, specifically along the lines of, uh, of unity. Now, the foundation, the base of this series is maturity, maturing into the uh, uh, mature manhood that God desires for all of us as believers. And, of course, the foundation of that is love. And uh, while we have uh, talked about love and, and injected love into this, we've, you know, we've not really gone to a lot of the... Uh, uh, normal, if we could say it that way, scriptures that usually people talk about when they talk about love, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. We've referenced it and used verses from that chapter. And I know that when Brother Dave Smart ministered, uh, he ministered a lot from 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I'm saying that for a reason, uh, because love is intermingled in all of it, but there's things that we're dealing with that show us uh, the things that hinder maturity, things that hinder our ability to walk in love. And so in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11, it says, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come in the unity that's a very important word. Circle that word unity. In the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we be no more children tossed to and fro carried about with every wind of doctrine and carried about uh, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But notice, speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And so we've talked about this at length. We have the word perfecting in verse 12 for the perfecting of the saints, which is the furnishing or the equipping, all right, to be equipped or to be furnished. And then we have the word perfect man, in verse uh, 13, which means fully grown or a mature person. And so in the local church, the job of the local church, one of the jobs is to fully equip, to furnish every believer with what they need to become this fully grown or mature person. And of course, the reason for this equipping, the reason for this furnishing is so that you can do the work of the ministry and edify the body of Christ. Hallelujah. And so whatever ministry God's called us to, whatever calling is on our life, whatever anointing may be there, it's there for the work of the ministry and ultimately to edify the body of Christ. All right? And then he goes and he says, notice, he says in verse 13, till we all come 
into the unity of the faith. Until we all come into the unity of the faith. Now, that word unity, it means unanimity, oneness, or agreement. Unanimity, oneness, or agreement. There's something the Lord's been talking to me about, and it's this, that unity is a prerequisite for maturity. Unity is a prerequisite for maturity. All right? Notice he says here, uh, until we all come into the unity of the faith. In, In other words, in our faith, there is agreement. There is unity. In what we believe, There has to be unity and agreement. Now, I've heard people say, well, it says the unity of the faith, not the unity of doctrine. Well, I'm not going to argue with that uh, because I I understand that there are doctrinal things that people believe and what's important is, is our faith. But here's what I want you to see. It's the unity of the faith. And, and notice he is writing to a local church here in Ephesus and he says, listen, in order to be fully equipped in order to be fully furnished, all right, this equipping, this furnishing will go on until we all come into the unity of the faith. And then he says, unto a perfect man. So he's saying this word perfect, of course, is that fully grown or mature person. He says that you cannot achieve that fully grown adulthood or full maturity level without unity. All right, there has to be unity. And this this is so important. This involves saying the same thing. This involves believing the same thing. All right, but it's a unity around the common faith that we possess. Now, in the same chapter there, in uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 1, Notice, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now notice he begins to talk here and show us how we walk out what we are called to do. Notice, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And then he says, notice, endeavoring to keep the bond of unity, the bond to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Another translation says, of course, endeavoring to keep. Another one says, earnestly striving to maintain. To maintain what? The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, we'll look at this more in depth, but notice all of these things have to do with, notice, it says they, uh, uh, to do this with lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice that all of those have to do with being selfless. Lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now, you know, that's, that's not just putting up with one another. That's being patient with each other. That's, that's being lowly. That's, that's being meek. Right? Putting the other person first. Helping the other person grow. And Paul says that when you do that, you are endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the word spirit there is capitalized. Now, you've got to determine that the the capitalization in the King James Version is not always indicative of what they're talking about. But here it is, and it's talking about the unity of the spirit, the unity of the Holy Spirit. And, And how do we do that? In the bond of peace. Well, how do we keep peace? How do we keep a bond of peace 
in the local church or a bond of peace in the body of Christ. We do it by walking with lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Nothing preserves unity like being selfless. Nothing preserves unity in any uh, uh, union like being selfless. If you want unity in your marriage, be selfless. If you want unity in your family, be selfless. Walk lowly. Walk in meekness. All right? Walk in long-suffering. Walk in forbearing, which is putting the other person first. This is so important. Because why is this so important? Because uh, 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 the power of God, what God wants to do in a body is dependent upon the unity in that body. It's dependent upon the, the oneness that's there. When you've got, it's not just everybody working for the same goal. It's everybody putting the other person first. It's everybody loving one another. It's everybody being patient. It's everybody being long-suffering. It's everybody endeavoring to keep the bond of the Spirit. Notice the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When you make it your determined goal in the local church that you are going to keep the bond of unity, you're going to walk in unity. Then what begins to happen is there, there begins to be a maturity. Amen. You know, a, a child, a natural child, has to be taught to put others first. Because from their, their very uh, beginnings in, in the world, I mean, when they're born into the earth, they can't communicate correctly. They cannot communicate verbally. And so, you know, whatever the case may be, they, they, they get hungry, they cry. Uh, they need a diaper change, they cry. They're too hot, they cry. They're too cold, they cry. And what happens is you hear that baby cry and you respond to that child's needs. Well, in the beginning, that baby, now hear me when I say this. I'm not talking about your babies, but hear me. In, in the beginning, when that baby is born, it's born very selfish. Because it's all about me. I need something. I want something. Right? And so, of course, in the beginning, that cry is not vindictive. That cry is not malicious. That cry is not intended to be a bad thing. It's how the child communicates. But as that child grows, as that child matures, that child will act differently at one year old than at a month old. Because at one year old, it is able to communicate better. All right? At, at two years old, it will communicate better. But once that verbal ability begins to show up, what do you start doing? You start teaching that child to ask. You start teaching that child to, uh, 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 to respond correctly. Right? Because you have to start teaching that child, now I love you, but everything doesn't revolve around you. If there's going to be unity in our home, everybody has to work together, right? And keep the bond of unity. Amen. And, 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 and as Paul said, to endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. For, for instance, our, our four-year-old. Uh, today, we were, we were sitting having breakfast, and Pastor Michelle and I were discussing something, and uh, uh, we looked over at her, and she raised her hand. Well, well, we've taught her, don't interrupt people when they're talking. If we're talking and you have something to say, raise your hand. And when we hit a break or, or we're done, we'll, we'll give you the opportunity to speak. Amen. Well, now here, what does that do? That keeps unity. It keeps peace. Because nobody's jumping in there 
and saying, hear me, look at me, watch me. And, and that's something that is, that is ingrained in people from their very beginnings that when I need something, I want everybody to rally around me and give me what I need. That will destroy unity. In my marriage, if I'm doing all I can to give 100% and my wife is doing all that she can to give 100%, what will happen in the middle of that is unity will show up and peace will be the result. Because we're all working for the same thing. Amen. Right? That's why when you talk about an argument or a discussion, whatever you want to talk about, what is the reason for that discussion? Discussions can be healthy if you're both working towards a common goal, which is the fixing of the problem. If you're having a discussion or an argument just to get your way, it'll never work because unity is not your goal. Selfishness is your goal. I want my way. Amen. And that's why when, 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 when you're talking about certain things, you know, people will say, well, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody is entitled to their opinion as well, as long as it doesn't cause dissension, as long as it doesn't cause a disunity. Your opinion must be geared for the health of the body, the health of the family. Amen. And so there, there can be a discussion, there can be a healthy discussion, or even, you know, we would say an argument, if both parties are looking for the, for the, the culmination, the effective uh, 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 finishing of that thing that will produce unity. Hallelujah. And so Paul says that's what we're to endeavor to do. And I've said this a few times in this series. If every person in the church endeavored to put the other individual first, what kind of victory could we have? You, 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 you've got to understand, there's no one sitting in the church tonight. There's no one under the sound of my voice. There's no, there's no one that's unimportant. There's no one that doesn't matter. Everybody matters. There are no relationships that you have that you can afford to burn the bridge of. Amen. Now people will say, yeah, but the, this person's done me wrong. They've done it again and again and again. You need to go back and get, I think it's, it's either part six. I believe it's part six where I talked about love and boundaries. I don't have to burn the bridge to put up boundaries. I love you. I want you in my life but you're not going to have real close access as long as you're doing that. I, I, I love you. I'm not going to burn the bridge, but you're not going to do that. So what does that mean? You and I are not setting out to burn bridges or to, or to, or to uh, 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 get throwaway relationships. The Scripture tells us that our job is to work, endeavor, to keep the unity of the Spirit. In a bond of peace. Amen. Well, we don't see eye to eye on that. Well, that's okay. There are things that we're not going to see eye to eye on. But what, what do we rally around? The unity of the faith. We're all born again. We're all saved. We're all children of God. In the body of Christ now, I'm talking. We're all children of God. And so, notice... You can disagree with me about things that are not the difference between heaven and hell, and we can keep our unity because we both love Jesus. Oh, glory to God. Now, why is this so important? We're going to come back to Ephesians 4. Uh, the book of Psalm, Psalms chapter 133. Oh, Hallelujah. I'll tell you when I really started thinking about this. Uh, well, I say I was already thinking about it, but it, it just it just sprang up into my spirit, 
uh, the other night, I got, the other afternoon, I got home from uh, uh, the Kansas location, and I'd been to, up to Illinois to see my, my one-year-old grandson celebrate his birthday, and, and uh, uh, then I had, I had, well, I'd come back, was visiting with my, my new granddaughter, and a and, uh, lot, lot of firsts going on, and uh, uh, then I went and, and had dinner with my grandsons and, and new granddaughter and my family there and celebrated Father's Day, but here's the thing. I got back Monday, and uh, Pastor Michelle and I were watching uh, these drum corps, and there, there's one in England called the Top Secret Drum Corps, and they, they're amazing, but Pastor Michelle was watching it, and she said, uh, I'm just impressed, and she used this word, by the unity, and, and when you watch it, it's amazing, all of the cadences and the rhythms and the, and the tempos that they have to remember, and the movements, and they never quit playing the drum, and they're moving, and, and, and they're doing all these uh, uh, different type of movements, and, and all of them are moving as one, they're moving as one, when you get a body moving as one, then God can begin to flow and move, and that's why, that, that's why uh, things like offense, and things like unforgiveness, and things like pride and arrogancy are so detrimental to a body because it, 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 it affects the unity of the body. When you've got one person thinking for whatever reason that it's all about them, and I have a right to be offended, or I have a right to hold this against that person, they don't understand that's affecting the unity of the body. All right, it, just in your natural body, every part of your natural body is designed to work together. All right, your, your eyes work together with each other. All right, your eyes complement your ears, your ears complement your speech. All right, it's much harder to speak if you can't hear. Do, do you see? It's, it's harder to speak if you can't see. How can you describe something you can't see? You can't. So it, in, it inhibits your ability to communicate. Uh, amen. Your, your legs complement your arms. It's much easier to reach something on the top shelf if you can stand up and reach for it. If you can't stand up, you can't reach it. If you can stand up but you can't use your arms, you, you're, you're still at a disadvantage. Hallelujah. Because each part of your body works together. And when one part of the body, if we could say it this way, goes rogue and decides to do its own thing, <laughs> right? There's a problem because it inhibits the rest of the body. You can have something very small go wrong in your body. And, and I've had this uh, uh, personally. I mean, I say not me, but we, we've, we've experienced it. Uh, uh, you know, your gallbladder is very small. It's about the size of a walnut or so. Not very big. But it has an important job. If, if that gallbladder, if it gets plugged up, if, if it becomes uh, plugged and it begins to, to do the wrong thing, it causes severe pain. Severe pain that will have you doubled up in the fetal position. It's, it's, I'm told it's horrible pain from something that's not very big. But why, why is it such a problem? Because it's connected to the body. And when something goes wrong with it, it inhibits the unity of the body. The body cannot function the way that it should. And that's why Paul wrote, and we won't take the time to go into all this, but that's why Paul wrote in Corinthians, and he said, he said there's not many bodies, there's one body. And he said, the hand can't say, I'm not part of the body because I'm not the hearing or the smelling or the seeing, right? He said, every part of the body is important, the comely parts and the uncomely parts. In other words, the parts you see and the parts you can't see. There are parts of your body that you never think about until something goes wrong, until they get out of disunity. Amen. You know, you know most of the time, 
uh, you walk you walk around and you never think about your back. You never think about things like that until you tweak it, until you wrench it, until you pick something up wrong. And then you're like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I do have a back. Amen. Or whatever it may be. I, I, I remember one time uh, we, we were living in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, the, the place that I worked, the complex that I worked for, I was on the maintenance team, and uh, uh, we could go there and, uh, and go swimming. And they had a real nice pool, so that's where we liked to go. And we were over there one evening, and there wasn't very many people. It was just us, mainly. And uh, I've, I've always been very rambunctious and play with the kids. And so I was chasing one of the kids, and I ran around a, uh, one of the pool chairs. And when I did, man, I hooked my little toe on my left foot. In between, uh, I, I, and, and the, the, the leg of that chair went in between my toes, and it just poop, popped that toe to the left. Ooh! People say, what'd you do? Well, I was on the deck. I would have never imagined something so small could hurt so bad. Oh, but it did. Oh, it inhibited everything I did. Because, because first of all, you know, you had to get it back in place, and, and then it's, you know, just because it's back in place, it starts swelling because the body is, is putting that traction around it. And my job is walking, right? And, and I got to get a shoe on the next morning and go to work because the, the, the way it was for us right then, I, I couldn't afford to miss work. And so I'm, 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 I'm walking and I'm hobbling and I, I walk to work because we, we lived just uh, a little ways away. Uh, we lived in one complex, and just up the hill was the complex I worked for. And uh, Pastor Michelle uh, owned her own business at the time, and uh, she would often be home for lunch, and she would watch me coming through the, the sliding glass door, and she'd say, I feel so bad for you because you're just hobbling your way around. Well, here's the thing. Uh, the rest of my body was great, but you know, my leg knew my toe was hurt. My shoulders knew it. Because I walk different, I, I move different. Everything was affected. So Paul says there are no unimportant parts of the body, not just so you can feel good about yourself, but to understand that what you do affects the whole body. Your attitude affects everybody. If, if I walk in love, it affects everybody. If I don't walk in love, it affects everybody. If I become arrogant, it affects everybody. If I walk in meekness and humility, it affects everybody. Amen. So Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Notice, it's like the precious ointment, the anointing oil upon the head that ran down the beard, Aaron's beard, that went to the skins, uh, skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there, notice, there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So the blessing flows at its fullest in an atmosphere of unity. Now when we talk about the blessing here, we're not just talking about, now, now this includes this, but in this context, we're not just talking about uh, 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 houses and cars and things and money, although that's all part of it. The blessing on a body, the blessing to do everything God has called that body to do, it flows at its fullest extent in an atmosphere of unity. In an atmosphere of unity. Where, where there is no unity, the blessing is... Uh, it's, uh, it's minimized, right? Uh, Peter, writing to husbands, he said to dwell with our wives according to knowledge, giving honor or preferring our wife as the weaker vessel so that our prayers would not be hindered. Now, now notice something. That's been used in the context of, you know, husbands and wives' prayers won't be hindered. But he's talking to husbands, and he says, if you don't walk in honor with your wife as the weaker vessel and prefer her, take care of her, be mindful of her, 
your prayers will be hindered, sir. It's, it's the same way in, in a church body. Where there, where there is no unity, it not only hurts the overall function of the church, it hurts what God's able to do to you and through you and for you personally. Because the blessing cannot flow to the level that it could. Now, back in Ephesians 4, and uh, we'll start in verse 4, it's interesting how much Paul talks about unity in this one chapter. How much he, he visits this, this, this uh, issue. Uh, Ephesians 4, let's, let's start again in verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Notice, there is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through you all and in you all. So notice, first of all, he starts and he says, there is one body. Well, what is that? The body of Christ. There's only one. I know there are different divisions. I know there are different denominations. But here's the thing. There's one body. Now let's break it down for our purposes and say, in the local body, the local body. There's one body. One body. This body. One body. And notice, he says, one spirit. Well, of course, that's the Holy Spirit. There's only one. Then one Lord, the Lord Jesus. One faith. Well, one faith. There's one, there's one faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus. And then one baptism. Now, don't get off track there. He's not talking about uh, 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 oneness or, or uh, uh, trinity or, or anything of that nature or sprinkled or, or dunking. One baptism. One baptism into the body of Christ, which we read about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Paul says there's only one baptism. You've been, you, you've been baptized into Christ. See, that's the baptism that matters. There are people in heaven today that never were baptized in water. But there's nobody in heaven that wasn't baptized into Christ. All right? This is so important. Because notice, one God. So notice all the use of the word one. One. This is unity. That we all come around the bond of peace. Remember what Paul said? He said, till we all come to the unity of the faith. And then in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In other words, there are things that don't matter. If we can agree that there's one body, one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God, everything else is irrelevant. All right? You can believe, you, you, listen, you can believe that you're supposed to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You can believe you're supposed to be named, baptized in the name of Jesus. I, I believe that baptism is by immersion, but here's my point. People say, well, if you're baptized in the name of Jesus, I've had people say it. Uh, 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 you know, they'll, they'll basically say you're not saved. Or excuse me, I've had people say, if you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and not the name of Jesus, you're not saved. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't cut the mustard of Scripture. And, I, and I'll tell you why it doesn't. Because Jesus said, go baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's what He said. Amen. And people say, that's right, that's right, that's right. But wait a minute. Then Peter and Paul said, baptize in the name of Jesus. Now, that, that, now there can't be a contradiction because if there's a contradiction we got to throw the whole New Testament away. There can't be a contradiction. So, so, so what's the issue? Do we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost? Or in the name of Jesus? We baptize, uh, when, when Jesus said, baptize in the name, the Greek is baptize into the name. Into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, people of certain denominations will say, yes, and the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit is Jesus. Well, there's another problem there. The Bible doesn't say that. 
The Bible never says the name of God the Father is Jesus. It says the name of God the Father is God the Father. It says the name of God the Son is Jesus. And then we have God the Holy Spirit. It's baptizing into the authority of the name. And how do I do that? By being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what the Scripture says. That's why how Jesus said to baptize. So my point in going through all that little theological discussion is to tell you that that's not the baptism that he's talking about. One baptism. You have to be baptized into the Lord. Into the Lord Jesus Christ. Now people say, do you believe if you're baptized in the name of Jesus, you're going to heaven? I do if you have made Jesus the Lord of your life. Because baptism is not the prerequisite of salvation. Baptism is an outward sign that you have made a decision to follow Christ. It follows your decision to be born again. So here's my point. So what has that caused in the body? A lack of unity. And it impairs the body. So he says that this is unity. Where there is no unity, hear me, Christ is not the head. Because, because the body of Christ operates in unity. And where there is no unity, Christ is not the head. If you see a home, a natural home, that's always in an uproar, Always at odds with one another. Something's wrong with the head. Something's wrong with the, the head there, the head of that home. Well, Pastor, that's kind of hard. I know, but it's right. The, the, the head of the home steps up and says, hey, 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 we're not going to have that disunity. Right? Nobody in this house is so important that you can cause strife. Nobody. Why? Because we're endeavoring to keep unity. Amen. Self-seeking will stop unity. Notice 1 Corinthians 13. Oh, hallelujah. I believe I'm helping you. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. Notice this, it says concerning love. Love, we could say, does not behave itself unseemly. Here's uh, the, the phrase I want you to see. We'll read it all, but seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, love. Now notice, one translation says love is never selfish. Never selfish. Another says love is never self-seeking. Another one says love does not pursue selfish aims. Now notice that. Love is never selfish. Love is never self-seeking. Love does not pursue selfish aims. Hallelujah. You know, again, to reference a, a natural family. That's why the Bible tells us that when a man and wife are joined in marriage, they become one. What, why, is he, why is Paul so quick to tell us that? Why is Jesus tell, telling us that? At, to combat selfishness. Why does, why does Paul tell us that when we get married, we're to love our wife as we love ourselves? And give ourselves for it, and then he, for her. And then he goes on and tells us, "No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, as Christ does the church." What does that tell us? He's telling us that we would never inflict harm on ourselves, on our body as men. And he says that we are to treat our wives the same way and in the same manner, that we're never to inflict harm or pain on them. Whenever anybody inflicts harm 
armor pain on the body or on a relationship, it's because there is self-seeking that's going on, there's selfishness there, and a disregard for the other person. Amen. I was with a, a man and woman of God one time that I, that I greatly admire, greatly admire them. And every time I'm around them, I, 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 I just admire them more. And they were talking about a thing, and, and they'd kind of come to a, a little disagreement. They, they didn't agree about something. Now, they weren't fussing by any means, but I learned something here. Uh, the, 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 the one party said, said to the brother, uh, they said, uh, well, you know, basically, uh, well, you know, why do you think that way? And, and I watched them, and they just smiled so sweetly and said, you know what, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It don't mean nothing. And that was it. That was the end of it. And I've, lear- I've learned so much from that. Whether it's in my marriage or in my walk with God or my walk with other believers, there are things that just don't matter. They just don't matter. If I'm not self-seeking, if I'm not being selfish, there are things that just don't matter. It only matters when I'm selfish. Do you see that? It only matters if it's all about me. And that disrupts unity. Because when you've got people that are all pulling in their own direction, you can't move forward. Because everybody's pulling their own direction. But when you've got everybody with a unified purpose and a unified goal, now you've got unity and everybody's pulling the same direction and you'll get there much faster. Amen. When, when, when you have a family, when you have a husband and wife, for instance, and, and they decide we've got to do something with our finances, and if you can get both of them to sit down and work on a common budget, and get a common goal in place, you'll see those finances change. Because they're both pulling the same way. But when you've got one that is what we call not on board, you're going to have a hard time. Because you got one person trying to pull the entire weight of that situation. There has to be unity. And Paul said, uh, the Holy Spirit said through Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, that love is not self-seeking. Love is never selfish. Love does not pursue selfish aims. Now, 1 Corinthians 8 and 1. And I'm going to take the time to uh, uh, sort of uh, paraphrase this for the sake of time. In, in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul's talking about not uh, hurting your brother... Because, uh, you know, you have knowledge. He says you have knowledge that things offered to idols that they don't, it doesn't really mean anything because the idol's not a God. And so you have the knowledge that you can eat it and it's no big deal. He says, but you've got a weak brother. Now remember, a brother is a part of the body. And he says, you've got a weak brother that doesn't understand. And he says, even though you have the knowledge that it's okay, you shouldn't do it. Now, notice this. 1 Corinthians 8.1. As touching things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Now, notice. Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. Love edifies. One translation says, knowledge makes arrogant. Another says, but we should remember that while knowledge may make a man look big, it's only love that can make him grow to his full stature. So notice this. He's saying you might have knowledge that it's okay, but knowledge can make you arrogant. And he says only love. Love for your brother can help you grow to full stature. 
Pride will cause me to be self-focused instead of others-focused. Pride, in essence, is an exaggerated sense of myself. Well, I know it's okay, so I don't care what anybody else thinks. Well, I know this is all right, so it doesn't matter what he thinks. Now, wait a minute. He may not have the knowledge that I have. I, I, I learned this very early on. Uh, I, was, I, was not, I was not a pastor at the time. Pastor Michelle and I had only been married maybe a couple of years, maybe. And uh, uh, I was working for an auto detail place. And uh, uh, one night we were down there, and uh, we were actually at the, at the office to have, I believe we were having a Bible study. And uh, uh, there was a guy there that was a new convert. Man, he was on fire for God. He was on fire for God. I mean, kind of, you know, the kind of go out and burn a barn for Jesus on fire. And, and uh, uh, I was talking with somebody in the bay of that detail shop, and we were talking about a prize fight that was coming up. It was a heavyweight fight. And they were going to, uh, if I remember correctly, get the pay-per-view. And we were talking about it, and this, this young convert came up and began to, to, to listen in. And he made the statement. He said, uh, well, my goodness, Christian folks ought not to watch prize fights, had they? He goes, that's my land. That's violent. That's, that's two guys beating up on one another. Was the essence of what he was saying. Now, I know it was the Holy Ghost. Because, you know, you recognize when you're not smart enough to do something and the Holy Ghost did it through you. Right? And I remember I was smart enough just to keep my mouth shut. Because it dawned on me, I could hurt this young brother. By looking at him and saying, look man, it don't, it don't matter. It's not the difference between heaven and hell. He was convicted about watching prize fights. Now, whether it was a just conviction or an unjust conviction, I mean, I mean, really think about it. I, now, you do what you want, but think about it. What business do I have sitting watching somebody else beat up on somebody? Now, that, that's my opinion. I'm just saying that's my opinion. That, that's what came up to me. And I was smart enough not to hurt him. Now, I don't know what happened to him thereafter. I only saw him a time or two more. But he was still saved. But, but here's the thing. Just because I have knowledge that something uh, uh, is right or wrong, Paul says knowledge can puff me up. In, in other words, I'm more concerned about what I believe than the brother that I may be hurting. And what does that do? That hurts our Unity. That hurts our unity. Now, uh, Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.6, he was talking about a, a, a bishop or an overseer and the qualifications. And he said that he should not be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation of the devil. All right, that, that, that being lifted up with pride, one translation says, less being puffed up. All right, lifted up with pride. When you look that, in the, uh, look that up in the Greek, it, it means to be wrapped in smoke, to be, one translation says, to be besotted with pride, wrapped in smoke. In other words, he gets very prideful and he can't see. And what's the result of that? They fall into the same condemnation of the devil. Same condemnation of the devil. Or they fall under similar sentence as the devil. Now, why is this important? One man said this. He said, we should take heed of pride. It is a sin that turned angels into devils. Take heed of pride. It is a sin that turned angels into devils. I, I want you to see something in Ezekiel. 
and uh, verse 28. Pride will destroy unity. Pride will destroy unity in a family. It will destroy unity in a church. It, it will destroy unity. And uh, Ezekiel 28, verse 13. Now, uh, well, let's start in verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now, in the beginning of this chapter, you see a person mentioned called the prince of Tyrus. Now, here he says the king of Tyrus. The king of Tyrus. What we have here in this one chapter in the book of Ezekiel is a biblical law of interpretation called the law of double mention. The law of double mention. In other words, it's, it's, it's mentioning something, double reference, it's mentioning something, and it looks Prince of Tyrus, King of Tyrus, and you think that's the same thing. No, it's, it's referencing seemingly the same thing, but it has two different meanings. And, and the best illustration I have for this is this, is Mount Zion. Well, there's a literal physical Mount Zion in Israel that the Bible says Jesus will come down on, the Mount of Olives, but, but Mount Zion that Jesus will come down on and put his foot on and it'll split in two. But then in Hebrews 12, it calls the church spiritually Mount Zion. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, you have not come to the mount that would be touched and covered by smoke, the mount that God came down on to give the commandments. He said, but you have come unto Mount Zion, that holy, heavenly city. All right, so it's, it's referencing Mount Zion, but two different aspects. And so the prince of Tyrus was an actual physical prince that was lifted up with pride, but here he says, the king of Tyrus. Well, how do we know he's different? Well, he says, thus says the Lord God, you seal up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You have been in Eden in the garden of God. Well, no human being at the time of this writing had been in Eden in the garden of God. No human being had been in Eden since God put Adam and Eve out of it. Notice what he says. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of your tabrais, your bells, your tambourines, and of your pipes was prepared in thee before the day that you were created. Well, we know he's not talking about a man because no man has tabrais or tambourines or bells in his body and, and pipes. Then he says, you are the anointed cherub. You are the anointed angelic being that covereth, that flanks God's throne. All right? And he says, And I have set you so. You were upon the holy mountain of God. You walked up and down the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. Now watch. Till iniquity was found in you. Now notice he talks about perfection. Sealing up the sum of wisdom, the sum of beauty. Perfection. You were perfect. You know, to be perfect, there can be nothing out of sorts. Amen. Some, some, somebody will finish something, and we use that word, uh, uh, and, and you know, nothing that we see is perfect, but we'll, we'll do something, we'll fix something, or, 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 or set something up, and we'll often back up and go, all right, that looks perfect. Well, what we mean is, is that looks really good and that's the best that I could do. But when the scripture uses this, this word perfect, it was perfect, perfection, not a flaw. God created him so. All right? This is Lucifer. God created him that way. But notice he says, till the day that iniquity was found in your heart. Well, what was that iniquity? We see it in verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. So one day, ever how he saw it, Lucifer saw himself. And the best way I know to describe this is he looked at himself and he thought, I am really all that. Anybody that looks that good, that is that full of wisdom and beauty, deserves to be God. 
Iniquity is found in his heart. Pride was found in his heart. And, 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 and notice what it says. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. And then he talks about casting him down, and he did. But here's what I want you to see. Up until that point, now hear me. Up until that point, there was perfect unity in this heavenly realm. Until pride showed up. And when pride showed up, it became all about Lucifer and not about God. Lucifer forgot what he was created to do when he started thinking too much of himself. If a person starts thinking too much of themselves, they will forget that they're part of a body and that the whole reason God has called them and anointed them and put anything in their life is so that they can do the work of the ministry that ultimately edifies the body of Christ. And when Lucifer began to think all of that about himself, that's when he decided to make insurrection and he caused strife in heaven and he began to try to split the body in heaven and God had no choice but to cast him out. And notice this, and pride turned the created being that was the cherub that covered, the angel that flanked God's throne, that was perfect in beauty and perfect in wisdom, pride turned Lucifer into the devil. Because the devil doesn't care about anybody or anything. Just himself. And that's why the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 that the angels were created to be ministering spirits that go forth and minister for those that will be heirs of salvation. You know, at one point that would have included Lucifer. He forgot that his role was to serve. And he ended up wanting to be served. Pride showed up. Unity was shattered. And God had to cast them out. Everything in heaven operates around perfect unity. Everything. And the Bible says that God's desire is that His will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Well, that includes the blessings of the kingdom of heaven and the blessings of the kingdom of God, but it also involves the operating system of heaven in the earth, which is unity. Oh, glory. Now, let me hurry here. Philippians 2, it won't take us long. Let's contrast this. Let's contrast this. Lucifer was created to serve. Everything he had was given him so he could serve God. Pride was found in his heart. Pride turned Lucifer into the devil. When he became the focus, that was his downfall. Serving requires the absence of pride. You cannot serve other people when you're the focus. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. If there be any consolation in Christ, if there be any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, fulfill my joy, be like-minded. Notice how often he mentions this. Having the same love, here's unity, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Whew. Peter said, be fervent in, 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 in charity. Have a white hot love in honor, preferring the other person. And Paul here, the Holy Spirit through Paul, says, esteem others better than himself. Look not on every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Then he says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Notice, made himself of no reputation, took on him the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So notice from the very beginning, the mind of Christ was the mind of a servant. 
from the very beginning. Jesus, notice it says the first thing, made himself of no reputation. Matthew chapter 12, you don't have to go there, verse 18 through 20, tells us Isaiah prophesied this. He said, my servant will not strive. My servant will not lift up his voice in the street. In other words, my servant will not make himself of any reputation. The Bible says that if you saw Jesus walking down the street, there was nothing about him that would cause you to be drawn to him. Jesus wasn't drawing attention to himself. Jesus was not out pounding his chest talking about how great he was. Over and over and over and over and over again, we see Jesus healing people and then saying, see that no man know it. It, 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 it says in, in Matthew chapter uh, 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 12 that multitudes came to Jesus to be healed. And that he healed them and said, see that nobody knows it. Now think about this for a moment. He said that to blind people that couldn't see. Now, how is a blind man that couldn't see going to get healed and nobody know about it? In other words, Jesus is saying he didn't use those miracles and those calling cards as a reason to make himself look big. He said over and over again, I can do nothing of myself. The Father does the work through me. I only do what my Father says. I only say what He says. He was constantly diverting the glory to the Father. That's why Jesus always, more than anything else, He called Himself the Son of Man. Glorify God. Glorify the Father. Amen. Over and over again. He would tell people not to bring attention to Him. He would hide Himself. Slip through the crowd. Now why is that important? Look how it contrasts with the devil who is full of pride. It's all about me. This, this third of the angels that I've convinced to come with me in my rebellion, I don't care that they're going to be in punishment and bondage forever. Just as long as I get my way. I don't care how many people go to hell. Just as long as I get my way. What did Jesus come doing? I don't care how much they talk about me. I don't care how much what they say about me. The, the, the people of his day, the religious leaders of his day, looked at the Son of God, looked at God in the flesh, and said, you are a devil. And yet on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they do. What was that? An act of selfless mercy. It's not about me. You know, I know this. I know this because I, I, I know this. The scripture doesn't ever tell us, but I know this because of, of what Jesus did. Jesus never sat around the fire or the house, wherever they were with the disciples, and said, golly, guys, why is everybody picking on me? I've never done anything bad to anybody. I'm just here healing and multiplying fish and loaves and making water wine and causing great catches of fish and loving everybody. Why is everybody picking on me? Never did that. I promise you he never did that because it wasn't about him. To sit around and think about how bad people are treating you and how wrong people are doing you means that you have an over-exaggerated, estimated view of yourself and you think you're all that. Because you're the focus. Jesus told the disciples, he said, when people despitefully use and persecute you, he said, pray for them. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. Pray for them. Do good to them. Because they persecuted the people before you. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. In other words, people are going to say things about you. People, people are going to treat you wrong. Your job is not take it personal. Your job is take on the form of a servant. That's what Jesus did. Notice in Matthew 20. I'll be done with this. Whew. Boy, there's a lot here. 
Matthew 20, 25. Jesus called them to him and said, You know the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it will not be so among you. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man did not come to be ministered to, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Now that doesn't mean that he wasn't served. The disciples did serve him. All right? But here's what it means. It's not all about me. I didn't come to make it all about me. There's obviously levels of authority and levels of honor in in our day-to-day lives. And we honor people and serve them, whatever the case may be. But but understand, we're serving because that's what we're supposed to to do to honor that office. But here's, here's the thing. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, serve each other. Serve each other. Jesus humbled himself. There was a complete absence of pride in Jesus. The most outstanding characteristic of Jesus was humility and servanthood. Most outstanding characteristic. And Paul said we should let this same mind of humility be in us. Mm. And you know the result of that mindset of humility? Paul said, wherefore God hath also highly exalted him. You know, when you humble yourself and you keep unity with people and you serve, the end result will be you will be exalted. But here's the thing. A person that wants unity and wants to walk in humility, they're not doing it to be exalted They're doing it because it's right. And the result is they'll be exalted. See, if somebody goes, well, if I serve, I'll be exalted, so I'm going to serve. That's pride. Because I'm going to serve to get something. What the the Scripture lets us know is that Jesus had everything and chose to let it all go to become a servant. And he said, let that mind be in you. So I'm not focused on what I can get. I'm focused on what I'm supposed to do. And in what I'm supposed to do is the exaltation. But because I'm willing to serve, I'll still be willing to serve when I'm exalted. I won't change. One translation says, Think just as Jesus Christ thought. Think just as Jesus Christ thought. That's that's one of the few things that the Bible tells us to do just like Jesus. I can think like Jesus thought. And he says that thought process is a humility thought process. And when you're walking in humility and you're walking in meekness, you will always preserve unity and you'll always walk in love. Amen. Well, stand up, everybody. I believe the Lord spoke to us today, tonight, and uh, I, believe that, uh, I believe that we're on the road to great, 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 great things. I just, we're in a season of growth, and the more we love one another and the more we care for one another, the greater God can do through us and for us. Amen. Matter of fact, right there where you're standing, why don't you look across the aisle, look behind you, however you got to do it, and tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, I sure do love you. And we're going to do great things in the kingdom. Amen.